I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney, a 2X startup founder, a UCLA Bruin with a background in engineering and an economics degree, and twice a week we'll be discussing the products, tech, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous cars as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for autonomous cars podcasts. Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 10th of May, 2019, and this is episode 105. Our guest today is Michael DeCourt. He's the owner and CTO of a company called Dactyl. And what's what's most interesting is that Michael brings to Dactyl an entire career, really, of experience in the aerospace and Department of Defense world. And Dactyl is his attempt to build proper and thorough DOD level of simulation for training and validation of all autonomous vehicles, meaning the entire uh, hardware and software stack, his belief, of course, that you absolutely critically need simulation, contrary to a certain CEO who's gone on the record most recently uh, claiming otherwise. Uh, before we dive into this really fantastic conversation, which ends up spilling over into about 40 minutes or so, uh, let's see, two quick points. Uh, the first is a reminder that I am, in fact, moving to D.C. Well, again, sort of. I'll be there for a month. It's a short-term move just to uh, kind of test the waters and um, really investigate this this inner drive, this determination that I have to fulfill my destiny, to quote certain Jedi or Sith, I suppose, depending on your point of view. Um, you know, this this idea really planted in my head that there is this big gap uh, sort of spanning technology on the one hand and then law and policy on the other. And it was suggested that I really take my legal background to DC and try to, well, fill that gap, as it were. So I will have one month in D.C. I'll be there from the 20th of May to uh, the 13th of June. And obviously it goes without saying that I very much look forward to connect with as many of you as possible all the days that I'm out there and really hope to tangibly, you know, lock something up for a potential permanent move sometime in the fall. Now, I've had a few folks reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, suggesting a bit of surprise that, oh, I'm not relocating to uh, to, to Pittsburgh, for example, or, or to even Boston, my beloved city of little Boston. Um, Pittsburgh, of course, making so much sense, rapidly becoming what I've described as really the epicenter of autonomous vehicles. Um, or for that matter, even staying here in the San Francisco Bay Area for obvious reasons. Um, look, this temporary move to D.C. is temporary for precisely that reason. I don't know yet where will prove to be the best place for me to end up to have the most profound impact in this space. Whether it ends up being D.C. or or indeed Pittsburgh, which, by the way, as an aside, I really do hope to visit while I'm in D.C., uh, it will be over the weekend. But if any of you are down to meet up over a weekend, do let me know, and I'll very seriously consider driving out there. Um, but yeah, so whether it's D.C., whether it's Pittsburgh, Boston, remaining here in the San Francisco Bay Area, or anywhere else besides, well, that's where you'll find me, where I can have the most impact. So um, there you have it. 
Um, let's see. Uh, one other quick announcement. Um, I am pleased to report that, uh, as promised, I did end up managing to record yesterday the really incredible one-hour conversation with three PhDs in the autonomous vehicle space, um, Henning Latgen, Martin Adler, and Justin Shore. Um, well, that's the good news. We did have a really fantastic conversation. The bad news is we suffered some really uh, unforeseeable technical issues with the recording itself. Um, I won't get into details now unless anybody's curious, but suffice to say, our one-hour conversation has effectively become just 45 minutes. And even those 45 minutes are not totally devoid of any further problems. I'm doing my best to kind of clean up the recording as best I can. Um, but suffice to say, it's going to be rather hit or miss here and there. So basically, I'm faced with two options. <clears throat> Do I forego publishing this, the season three finale that I had planned with so much excitement? next Friday, the 17th. Um, or do I go ahead and put up what we've got? You know, it's certainly, I think, better than nothing. We certainly touched on and engaged in a lot of really fascinating discussion. So my, my hunch, my inclination is to lean towards going ahead and publishing what I have. Um, and, and to be fair, I'm not yet done splicing together all the audio, cleaning it up. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, uh, assuming that I do end up with a, possibly good enough finished product. I do think that's probably what I'll do. If any of you have any opinions on the matter, you know, you know how to reach me on social media at autonomous Hogue through the website at markhogue.com on LinkedIn, whatever. Right. Anyway, enough about that. Um, what you're really here for is of course my conversation with Michael DeCourt. So why don't we dive in and get started 30 minute? No, no, not 30 minutes, 40 minutes with Michael DeCourt begins now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right. Well, Michael, good morning. It's great to connect finally. Hey, yeah, same here. I'm glad uh, that I had the opportunity to be on. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Um, so, yeah, obviously you've got a really fascinating background. Um, rather than try to even attempt a uh, hashed together summary on my own, I'd love to just hand it off to you a bit on your background, academically, professionally, or otherwise, and of course, segue into your work at DAC. Yeah, thanks. So, it's basically the confluence of a couple uh, things. One is I, I worked for uh, 14 years in aerospace and defense, which included uh, flight simulation for about 10 years, which is to an FAA level D. That's the highest level of uh, simulation fidelity. They, if you ever, if you saw the movie Sully, in the end of the movie, they had a level, oh, yeah. a level D simulator. Um, but I also, because I was there, I, I was well aware of best practices in aerospace and defense for systems engineering. I, I moved on from there. I worked on, uh, I was a software program manager for the e, an Aegis weapon system baseline. And then I went to a program to upgrade the Coast Guard and some DHS after 9-11 uh, as a system engineer. And then I went from there to become the engineering software engineering manager for all of NORAD after 9-11. Um, so if you're familiar with NORAD is the place, it's usually in the, in the movies, it's shown as a giant room inside of a mountain 
and usually it's Air Force, it's Air Force people, and there's big screens, and they track all the missile launches. So, yeah. right, so NORD is that place that tracks missile launches, all the aircraft in air and, and, and objects in space. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what that gave me is the ability, especially with the simulation, is, is it gave me the insight into a couple of things. One is, is uh, legitimate system engineering best practices, uh, which, which I, I got to tell you is, is night and day from IT. So, uh, and then um, as well as that, the understanding of actual real time and simulate, simulation and architectures. Um, uh, so that, that gave me that view. But because of that program I was on called Deepwater after 9-11, Lockheed and Northrop Grumman did some very bad things. I wound up stopping them, which actually included me kind of going against um, James Comey for a while because he was Lockheed's lead attorney. Um, I, was, oh, wow. I was a whistleblower. So I wound up on 60 Minutes, congressional hearings. I'm in a documentary movie. I received the IEEE Barris Ethics Award. Wow. Yeah. So, so I bring all that up because obviously the things I say in the autonomous vehicle world, at least uh, – uh, are outside the, well, the echo chamber or the conventional wisdom. And, and I can tell things are shifting because I, I pay extreme attention to this o- over the past almost three years. So I had that viewpoint. And then because Lockheed, you know, I terminated me, I, I went and, and went to the IT world, uh, which is what's basically being leveraged here, agile and the practices or lack of practices, actually, that, that IT uses. Um, so I saw, I have that experience from all those views. So when I saw the... Um, autonomous vehicle world, their primary uh, method for development and testing is what I, I, I term it as public shadow and safety driving. And I put public on there because we'll get, we can get to it, but I think it should be done in simulation. But so public just basically says the vast majority of the development they're doing is is the, the shadow driving, which is where the driver's in control. Um, but then there's the safety driving where the driver obviously is not and then has to take over. So there's that whole approach um, to to uh, development and testing, which I think is is literally and no hype, it's untenable. It's not remotely possible to get anywhere close to level four, and um, we can get into exactly why that is. But but I, when I saw that, I thought, well, maybe I can help. Maybe I could come in with with my background and also that I think a little bit of a pedigree relative to doing my homework and you know trying to be ethical, and and say, hey, well, time out here. Um, you know, there's some things that, you, that need to be discussed. So I, I, I tried helping and then I, I noticed that maybe, maybe I can do more, maybe I can do uh, scenarios because the issue is not that nobody in this industry is doing scenarios or simulation. The issue is the depth, the breadth and fidelity of it. That's where the problem is. So I thought, well, maybe I could create scenarios from a top down view, right? Not just the bottoms up agile thing. Uh, and if you use simulation, the beauty of that is, is if I give you um, uh, six lane cross merge uh, scenarios and simulation. I give you roundabouts or circles and I give you very complex intersections and you take special teams and go off on the side and work those in parallel, which is what aerospace and defense would do. Then if you solve the toughest problems, uh, usually everything else winds up working or most things do. And also you, 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 you come across things that could be major engineering changes that the sooner you find out, you know, those, the, the, you know, the, le- the least less amount of rework you have. And that rework could be debilitating. Yeah. So, so, so let me just pause for just one moment, yeah. if I could, please, just take a step back. So just yep. briefly, can you walk me through what exactly is Dactyl doing? Is it a simulation yeah, that's in what, which yeah. you're hoping to test the whole, what, hardware and software stack of any <laughs> AV company it wants to test? Is that the idea? Yes, sir. So I, I, actually, yes. So, so I, it evolved. So originally, I just wanted to help the simulation companies in the industry by, by providing, um, Dactyl would provide scenarios. And at the, at the time, I didn't want to go beyond that because I thought, you know, there's a conflict of interest here. If I'm going to come out and I follow this, right? So I know nobody else is saying all the things I'm saying or, or as forcefully. So if I'm going to say there's all these problems, including the simulation in this industry, 
um, then that, and, but then I'm providing the only product that actually solves it all. <laughs> there, there's a conflict of interest there. So I was actually trying originally to stay away from that. But then when I, when I talked to the simulation players in the industry and showed them that their systems were, had massive issues, problems, because they're using gaming engine architecture, um, they, they admitted that the problem existed, but they all told me that, well, because they'd have to create a new baseline and basically a brand new product and they didn't want to do that, they're going to wait until the users figure out there's a problem and then pay them to fix it, which is unacceptable. So that evolved from Dactyl doing scenarios to doing everything, which is all of the various simulations. So the vehicles, the road, the tires, the world, sensors, uh, and then a, a full motion simulator. And we're teamed with a company called Antible Motion because you need a full motion simulator for, for a very small portion of this scenario wise, but a very critical portion, which I can explain. And I've seen no one using a full motion simulator. None of the big guys, not Waymo, not Tesla, and, and especially not the, the folks doing remote operation, which is completely ridiculous. So, so, so um, just to be clear, full motion anyway, simulator for what? I mean, it's clear why you need this for, say, air, airline pilots, for example. What's the full yep. motion? I mean, is this to train what? The, okay. the cars somehow as well? or the, the, okay. Yep. Yep. So let's say, uh, for, for argument's sake, that, that, that I convince you to flip the paradigm and you need to do 99.9% .9 of the development and testing and simulation for various reasons that we can get to. So now that I'm not using the real car as often, right? So first of all, I want real world data. Data gathered by people driving is terrific. What I want to, what I want to virtually eliminate is safety driving. And I want, um, you, and you, and contrary to what Elon Musk said, um, you cannot gather a fraction of the long tails in the real world compared to simulation. And we can get into that. Um, so I want real world data, but, but it'll never finish. So I, in order to, to economize time and money, and, 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 and get rid of two massive safety issues that we can discuss, I have to use simulation. So if I'm using simulation, there's a portion of that where I need to replace the real car with something that obviously very well models the real car. And that is a full motion simulator. The reason why a full motion system is because let's say for argument's sake, I'm doing imitation learning. If I'm doing imitation learning and I have a professional driver, for example, and I wanna show it what to do, if I'm anywhere, where the motion cues become valuable to me as a driver on your inner ear or your body, then, then I need those. So let's say I'm driving scenarios with loss of traction. Let's say that I'm, I'm losing traction. You cannot drive that without motion cues. It's impossible. I agree so, and, to a certain extent anyway, yeah. So there's a core set of scenarios, again, probably less than 0.1% that involve cornering and braking and acceleration, being on steep grades. If somebody bumps you or you bump something, there are these core set of scenarios where you need motion cues. And then on the other side of it, testing, you need you, the same thing would happen in testing, but then you have the extra issues that you need motion system for, which is comfort and to test to make sure that people are not getting sick. And sometimes that sickness uh, takes a little bit of time to accrue. If you don't have a motion system, you will wind out with a very core set of scenarios not properly developed or tested. And that will, that will literally result in real world tragedies because of the associated scenarios. I mean, what about in-car in driver and indeed passenger monitoring systems? I believe one of them, uh, for example, is it Carmera? They, yeah. The idea is to literally monitor the human occupants of the car to check for things like comfort, motion sickness, and so on. Is that not sufficient? Uh, correct. It's not sufficient. And, and, and so uh, there's different parts of this, right? They're not in the head of the person, right? So what you need to do is, is, is you need to create a, a, a scenario by which you can test to make sure that they're 
they're getting sick or not sick. If you use the real world, first of all, you can't repeat enough situations, right? So uh, it's, it's very difficult in the real world to repeat things exactly where obviously in simulation, I can repeat things exactly. Um, it's just that in a, in a simulator, you can go through more scenarios and tweak them and alter things that would take you forever to do in the real world. So it's, it's more a matter of efficiency, actually, to have the full motion simulator um, uh, because, and that gets back to the reasons why shadow and safety driving won't work. There's three areas where it won't work. Um, it's, it's liability, uh, but viability and, and, and safety. So let's go through viability. So Rand did a study and said, uh, if you wanted to do this in the real world, because you cannot, you cannot control the real world, you have so many scenarios to go through over and over and over again to train the system that they determined that in order to be 20% as good as a person, uh, 20, sorry, 20% better than a person, you'd have to drive the equivalent of 11 billion miles and said that wasn't possible. If you extrapolate the 11 billion at 20% better to 10 times better, which a couple of years ago was the measure that everybody was talking about, that these machines have to be 10 times better than a human, that's 500 billion miles. Um, Toyota said a trillion. So it's not possible to do that. You can't get through the work, right? Because the miles don't equate to miles, right? The miles basically equate to work. So uh, now I can't spend the time. Now let's talk about dollars. I, I have an extremely conservative dollar value on the trillion miles. Um, so let's say I decided to try to do a trillion miles in 10 years. And let's say I decided it was 50 miles an hour on average, which is too high. But again, I'm trying to come up with a conservative estimate here that somebody can't poke a lot of holes through. So if I do a trillion miles over 10 years, that's 237,000 cars driven 24 by seven for 10 years. Um, I'd have to replace those cars. And I said, I'd have to replace, uh, them, um, uh, every, uh, year and a half, which would be over 300,000 miles, right? Or 400,000 miles. So if I have cheap cars, sensors, drivers, and fuel, and no engineering costs, again, I'm trying to be very conservative. So I have no engineering costs, which are massive. That's $300 billion over 10 years. I actually just read this in your article that you shared with me on Medium. Um, just, just, I have to interject a question, though. What, what, if we, what if we didn't aim for 10x better than humans? Just theoretically, how do these numbers change if we just need them to be at least as good as humans? So it's just, well, it's, it, well let's just assume it's linear. Um, then, uh, then, then not, that number would come down. But even if I take the trillion down to the 500 billion for Rand, or I take the Rand 500 billion and go to 250 billion, that's not going to happen. If, yeah. if, if, if I'm one, if I'm as good as a human, that 250 billion is 25 billion. And, and, and now, so let's say we did that for argument's sake, let's say we could do that, but I have two other problems that you can't resolve. So the safety issues, one of them is handover. There, there's a period of time in critical scenarios where even no matter what monitoring and control system you use, which which I agree improves things, right? So training, monitoring, and 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 alarming, great. But there's a period of time in critical scenarios of which many accident scenarios are, are especially when there's speed or lateral movement involved, where you cannot give people time to regain enough situational awareness to do the right thing. The right. I thing. agree. There's definitely a lag, you know, between the time they're warned and they can actually take control, get awareness of the situation. That that makes a lot of sense. I agree with that. So studies show, and this is the University of Leeds in Southampton, as well as NASA, that the range of time is three to 45 seconds. Now, the, four, the, right. the longer time is because of threads, but it's generally three to 45 seconds. So we already know what's going on in the world right now with uh, Lane Herzberg, right? Uh, we, there will eventually be the first child and family, which, which, is a, which will be a great problem. But then there's the next problem, which is the largest safety issue of all. And most people don't realize it because nobody's talking about it, nor is anybody really doing it yet, except Tesla by default. So if you, drive, if you basically have to drive around and either use an imitation or reinforcement learning 
but you have to be in the real world to experience and test things. And you do millions of scenarios, hundreds of thousands of times over. That means I have to train accident scenarios or what would be accident scenarios the same way. So that means that I have to use the public domain to train thousands of accident scenarios, thousands of times each, when the public understands that and that there will be thousands of accidents, thousands of injuries and deaths, this will never happen. And that's unavoidable because you can't have it both ways. You can't use public shadow and safety driving for benign scenarios and then say somehow you're not going to use them for complex, dangerous or accidents. Just, just to be super clear, because um, I think I might be missing something. Um, isn't the training being done with Tesla vehicles not only accumulating useful value data with autopilot engaged, but isn't it also, in fact, mm-hmm. learning just based on the human drivers as well? Yes. Yes. So in shadow, you're correct. In shadow mode, they have the ability to learn and they also have the ability to test their uh, system, but only only as far as the intent of the system. But they can't test the thread because the person didn't take their hand off the wheel, which is why I believe which is why I believe their latest demo video had nobody touching the wheel and why Elon didn't do it on 60 Minutes is because they need to send a double message. Fair they enough. need to get people mm-hmm. to let go. Okay. So but so going back to your point, though, um, the shadow driving is learning and and testing intent at least of the of the of the planning uh but that's not nearly enough when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply uh, and when they get to accident scenarios, that means they're going to have the public is going to have to kind of hang in there or be professional drivers or not disengage because the only right, the system in order to test as efficiently and as fast as possible is the more situations it can it, it can experience and experience over and over, the faster they will get to done. So that will include thousands of accident scenarios. There's just no there's just no way around it. But here's why I think I'm missing something. Um, I mean, if it's learning also based on how humans drive and react to either potential accidents that they've avoided or indeed how they react during the actual brief time period of an accident yes. occurring, yes. Yes. is it not able to learn from that? And therefore, if that's the yes. case, then isn't it at least going to be greater than or equal to human-driven vehicles, which is already sort of a Pareto optimal scenario to begin with? Yes. I, yeah. I'm not saying that in the micro that that isn't effective. It is. But you have you have the, you have two problems. One is the amount of times you would have to do it. You can't fit into that trillion miles in a dollar. So you're never going to finish from a time and money point of view. Number one. So it's kind of like a wasted effort. So number two is the safety part of it. The public will have to realize that they're guinea pigs to a level of which they are being used to, to learn accident scenarios. But, but to be clear, they're not really being guinea pigs in the sense that they would already be doing this driving anyway, right? No, no, no. They're letting go of the wheel in order to. So that, that, no, no. And that's your issue, right? Your, your issue is the fact that they're able to let go of the wheel in the first place. Yes. My problem with the hands on the wheel shadow driving portion of it is more a time and dollar issue. It's yep. not a safety yep. issue. My issue with, with safety driving is the letting go of the wheel part. So, it, but in totality, um, it's just not, it's just not doable from, from, you know, from a perception, liability, time, dollars, it's just from any angle, you can't do it. 
So, okay. So, so my hope was not to turn this into a Tesla autonomy day dissection, but since you already referenced directly and indirectly, certainly Elon's at least certain of his claims, I mean, just, just to kind of nitpick. So, so, you know, one of the misquotes I think from Elon's uh, Tesla autonomy day, and I'm using this by analogy to the point we're getting at, um, you know, he, he, there was a misquote that I read somewhere suggesting he had made the outrageous claim that, that LIDAR and computer vision are redundant and it was misinterpreted as suggesting the foolish claim that they effectively operate in the same overlapping wavelengths, which is totally absurd. Um, what I believe that he was meaning to say was that since they're both effectively line of sight technologies, in that sense, they're redundant. By analogy, his claim that simulations are bad or unnecessary, I didn't interpret that to mean they don't have any utilitarian value, period, but rather that the end game where computer vision is sufficiently good would render simulation unnecessary. Yes. And, and so I, I, I also believe they're using simulation. So I didn't take away that they weren't. What, what I did take away was the same thing, the same problem everybody has, which is the sec, sec, second mountain we have to climb. So the first mountain I have to climb with you is, or anybody else is, that public shadow and safety driving is, 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 is a problem for all the reasons I stated. So the solution is, is to go to 99.9% .9 simulation. The reason why 99.9 .9 is because there's millions of scenarios. It's just a numbers game. But now I have the problem of, well, simulation isn't good enough. And then I have the next problem of aerospace and defense technology for simulation is so much better than gaming architectures. It's, it's, it's almost mind boggling. So let's talk about, if we could, what, what Elon, uh, what they said about simulation. So first, let's talk about long tails, right? They said that you have to use the real world to get long tails. So uh, and simulation can't, can't be as good as the real world. So, so, so let me tell you, I disagree. Uh, so let's go through what they said. They gave an example of a long, saying a long tail was where a tractor was towing, what, two or three other tractors. They had an example of a, of a photo. And all right. So, OK, so fine. Let's say that's a long tail. So, OK, now, one, how am I going to repeat that without simulation? Number one. Number two, how am I going to get variations of that? How am I going to get three trucks, four trucks, black trucks, red trucks, cloudy day, sunny day, rain, snow, fog, the trucks at a different angle, objects in front of the trucks? There's a massive amount of variations of that long tail that you're never going to see in many, many, many lifetimes. But isn't the point that that's precisely the point? You shouldn't need to see all those, right? Because, I mean, if we assume that computer vision is nothing more than a bunch of if-then yes. loops, then, of course, you're right. That would not work. But I, isn't the whole yeah. argument that, it, that AI, by definition, is not just a bunch of if-then loops. It's going to be able to do sort of on-the-fly learning. It's going to uh, okay. adapt. Okay. So, what, so you're right. So to the degree that those systems can infer or learn or extrapolate, you would be correct. However, I don't know that it's been demonstrated that it's much that it's much more than a selective recall system, at least to the point where you need a massive amount of scenarios. But then you also have the perception problem. You know, the test that they did where they put little pieces of black tape on a stop sign and they couldn't tell it was a stop sign. I actually okay. no, I missed that so, one. No, so there was, I, I, and I forgot who did it, but a study was done. I have some research group where they put little pieces of black. I think it was electrical tape, little pieces of black electrical tape on a stop sign in various places. And I believe they left over 90% of the sign or 95% of the sign untouched. And they found that um, the systems couldn't detect it as a stop sign. And the reason for that was that uh, perception systems look small and go big as opposed to humans that look at the larger and then go small. So, and... That's surprising considering how good lane detection has 
developed over the last couple of years. I mean, well, frankly, there's, I've been shocked just a few tests I've done even with Tesla. I mean, there's lanes that it's detecting that I can barely. So not to be flippant, but I don't know that Mr. Wang or Mr. Yadding's family would agree with that. Fair enough. But that's, you're referring to the Model X collision on the 280 free, or on the 101 freeway in Mountain View. Which I understand from people who drive, we drive that area still doesn't work. And then and Mr. Yanning had, had a similar issue in, in China. I look to your point with respect to that family, I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable getting right. into a debate. The only comment I would make is it seems that he had received ample warnings and didn't take over, but that's very public knowledge. It's the only reason I'm echoing that okay. again. But here. there are two issues there, right? So I would argue that that process shouldn't exist. So nobody should have been put in that, in that position because that wouldn't happen in simulation, but setting that aside, it still was a perception problem. True. I guess my it's point like not, is, is it not the case that we humans have perception problems too, though? Uh, okay, but do you want to be, okay, but, but humans wouldn't have had a problem with that. And if you want to be 10 times better than a human, then, then that argument is, doesn't exist, right? And, and, and you could take a macro one. I, humans see the size of tractor trailers on a sunny day, right? And you have, to, you have, you have uh, Joshua Brown and you have uh, Mr. Uh, Banner, who, who, who died, what, 10 weeks ago? So, um, and, and that's, that's a whole discussion on if LIDAR is important, so we can get into that if you want to. But, but from a simulation... I, I need to interject a thing about the sunny day thing, because that, that's actually a really good, I think, practical example. Um, so just yesterday, as a matter of fact, I, I noticed an, one of those great use cases in real life where, you know, this is why you've got daytime running lights. It's why you're told to otherwise manually turn on headlights around sunset. I checked the right rear view mirror to switch yeah, lanes to the yeah. right didn't see a car until I just started the lane change. And then I thought, oh, that is a car there. The reason I hadn't seen it, the sun was setting in front of me. I kind of, you know, hurt my vision. So when I checked the rear view mirror, this black car without any headlights on, at first, my eyes didn't adjust to the light delta and I just didn't see it, right? That's a good example where a human might have well missed it, like I nearly yeah. did, but arguably, I'm pretty sure something like Tesla would have certainly picked it out. I, I And, and you, it, look, of course they should pick it out and maybe they do. I, I would like to see... Um, Tesla proved the whole LiDAR thing by literally reenacting the Brown banning thing. Show me that Agreed. not having a LiDAR wouldn't have, wouldn't have helped in that what apparently looks like a copycat situation. Agreed. And, per, and admittedly, I'm, I'm definitely sort of cherry picking yeah. rather academic examples to kind of just suggest yeah. other points of view. So please go so on. Let, so let's, let, let me give you, so, so let me give you examples of why this has to be done in simulation. However, cl look, clearly nothing will be perfect, but we can get to a point where we assign a safety sigma value and we can objectively prove that we're 3x, 2x, 0.5x, 20x, 1000x better than a human. I believe we can get to that because of the, of the scenarios and working with, you know, various communities and domains. We can get to that. It's not like it's easy, but we can get to that. So, so here's the thing with simulation. Let me give you a concrete example. One of the things that we're doing is um, in order to test the perception systems, you have to check a massive amount of objects and variations of those objects, the size, position, the, the pattern that they wear, how shiny or dull it is, uh, their position relative to each other, the, the, the light strength, the light um, angle, uh, weather. We had somebody guess that you, you, if you were doing flashcard tests, right, like showing the system photos or whatever, and, and, and you, were you were testing the perception system, that it might be a billion of, of them. Get, let's just say it's something, half a billion, whatever the number is. We would literally scrape clothing catalogs to find clothing that it might in any way cause any sensor a problem, and then utilize those in a massive amount of variations in flashcards with size and shape and light, you will not get through 1% of that 
in, in, in many lifetimes in the public domain because you will never, you'll never come across them. So mm -hmm. there's far yeah. more you can do with data from driving, right? Data from driving, data from all kinds of sources with panels of experts on various teams working in various areas of objects. But you can find more objects and create more scenarios and variations of scenarios in simulation than you can ever do in the real world, even if you decided to wait the multiple lifetimes. It's purely- Look, to be clear, simulation also makes intuitive sense. I mean, frankly, me, Mark, individually, yeah. like I think simulations are great. Um, I was just as surprised as everybody to hear Elon say that he thinks simulations are unnecessary. The only reason I'm willing to at least entertain the notion that he may end up being right, and this might be not very scientific of me to say so, but objectively speaking, he's sort of delivered on just about everything else he said so far. Yeah. Fact. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a little anecdote about SpaceX back in 2011, we can talk about, but uh, so I'll give you, so, so here, let, let me guess. That's the thing that says just because you can land rockets vertically, which is altogether very different to autonomous cars and therefore has no bearing whatsoever. on No. no. So for, first, let me, in fairness, let me tell you my, because it matters because I've been really hard on Elon. Um, I, I was in, very, very impressed with him a long time ago because my, my opinion was, here's a guy who's a verb, right? I use the word verb because he gets things done and he was tackling important things. So I was, I was way in yep. his court, okay? But over time, uh, I believe, uh, and I think, well, I think the root cause is some personality issues, but I think he's just, you know, he's got a lot of pressure and he's doing a million things and he has to be superhuman, but he's just gotten to the point where I think he's crossed the line from, from hero to villain. And um, in this autonomous vehicle area, he's just gone too far. And it's to the point of literally being negligent. And because I try to look at things, whether it's politically or here, not, not because of the group or the person, but it's important to focus on the thing, right? Like, because everything has little pieces and parts, like the Tesla cars, for example, they clearly have an amazing crash envelope, right? They have, they have amazing handling. So, so I try really, really hard to find those things and compartmentalize because I think compartmentalization matters. I, I think speaking in general, broad terms can, can be a problem because it's not fair either way. So my feeling on him has become to the point where I think he's a net negative to society now because of this, not a net positive. However, I would like his cars to be successful. I would like his, the auto, I would like autopilot to be successful. It's just that I think, again, given the method that they're doing, it, they will literally never get close to level four. So they won't save the associated lives. And ironically, and quite tragically, they're taking lives and going to take many, many more needlessly because of that approach where they could use mostly simulation. But statistically, aren't they already doing better on average? Insofar no. as safety for human, you know, loss of no. life per X number of miles. No, I, you can't prove it. I mean, level one. So if, if you take level one, which I would argue is not autonomy, if you take level one, uh, I'm all for it. So you and I, you, I don't think we're going to probably have any disagreement on the level one part of Tesla's or anybody else. Anything that makes the driver a better driver, it's great. So it's the level two, three, and four thing. And I believe uh, that level two and three should be skipped. Uh, for the reasons that we just discussed. And well, there was a proposal lately that suggested a binary level system, right? You either are autonomous or you're not. Right. Yes. And then you can get into the whole geofencing thing, which I wrote an article on that. But I think most yep. of the geofencing thing is, is hype. And, and here's the reason for that is it, as soon as I go to anywhere in the world where any object in the world could exist, I now have to test for them, right? So if I go to an area of Orlando, for example, I just picked that in my head and I pick a, 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 just some intersection, one intersection. I now have to test for every item of clothing and object, person and, 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 and animal 
and 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 again jackets that are shiny black polka dot cross i have to test for all of that because they could occur there so as soon as i get in the game of being in the public domain i have taken on the due diligence requirement of the engineering and testing for anything that could possibly occur there so wait just to be just to be clear you're suggesting you don't think that achieving level 4 is a more realistic goal because i've often said quite a bit that if you draw an analogy to overhead electric buses and trains, yep. those are effectively geofenced vehicles. Yes. Um, and so why is everybody trying to rush to market with level five? Level four is more than adequate. Just yep. geofence your autonomous vehicles. You're saying that's not yep. realistic either? If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. I'm saying that if I, if, if uh, so let me say again, I want this to be successful. So my, my, my issue here is more of a constructive criticism in the industry. So I, I just make sure that's clear. Um, so let's, let's talk about the geofence. If you take to get there as an example, to get there is in Europe, Northern Europe, and they've been doing actually autonomous vehicles in the public domain since I think 95, really long time. They're not, they're small, they're not extremely well known. They, but they geofence down to like a really tight geofence. They're doing what I would describe as a monorail without the rail, right? So they're driving autonomous vehicles somewhere where they don't allow living beings to go in the pet to, to get there, right? It's right. kind of, mm -hmm. right? so, so, so that works. As soon as I get somewhere, like let's take the uh, Easy Mile shuttle that was in Babcock Ranch that thankfully yep. NHTSA stopped because they were using um, school children's guinea. Was it the school bus thing? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay, once I'm there, I know it's a small area and it's, a, it's they're going 25 miles an hour, 15 or 20 or whatever they were going. And I know it's a small area. But to me, you have a responsibility uh, to do a progression of testing through simulation or test tracks or whatever to prove that you've done some due diligence, for example, on the perception of any object or patterns of objects or variations of objects that that system could struggle with in that physical location. And basically, those are the same objects that could possibly be in Montana, that could possibly be in California. So once you get to a, a geofence where the public can exist, you've now pretty much taken on that massive set of perception testing and other tests to ensure that you do due diligence because you can't stop those things from happening. No, no, I get it. But what about trains, right? I mean, technically trains are geofenced to the exclusion of, well, people crossing tracks, but yeah. we know that's yes. not flawless. People still cross tracks and they get their yes. cars stuck on tracks. I mean, but that seems to be a sufficient yes. uh, threshold. Yes. So I agree with you. So if that threshold was the same, you and I would be in agreement, meaning um, trains have it to where everybody knows not to go near it. Uh, and, and, and what, I don't know what the Sigma is, but I bet if I bet it's like seven Sigma or six point something, right. I, I bet it's incredibly rare. Why? Because the public has no reason to be there except for like accidental situations or suicides or whatever. Generally, that's not the case in Babcock ranch. Mm -hmm. You could have a tourist who has a jacket from France that is only made in France that has some pattern on it that freaks out the system. And, and they could be on vacation in Orlando. So you have it to me, you have a, you have a responsibility in your geofence to ensure, actually, this goes back to NTSB. You know how the NTSB said after the Brown accident that it believes Tesla or anybody else should be able to function in scenarios 
that are um, are germane to that to that location, or they shouldn't go into autopilot. Right. Okay. Well, okay. Here's what's odd about that is the NTSB apparently doesn't understand that they're never going to get to the point where they operate unless they let people shadow and safety drive because they're learning to get to the point that the NTSB wants them to be at. There's a there's a massive amount of ridiculousness to what they said, because right because they literally have to not know and go there and do thousands of runs until they get to the point where the NTSB said they should be in the first place to even be allowed there, which kind of to me implies you did simulation first and then you went to the real world. But mm-hmm. well, so hey, that's, that, that's kind of a perfect segue actually to this question I wanted to ask you. And, and by yeah. the way, just as an aside, I know you and I already anticipated this would go probably 10, 15 minutes over. Yeah. We're already kind of approaching that too. So let me try to segue this into a question I've had for quite some time. I've suggested a few times in the past, because literally what you just said leads into this. I've suggested a few times in the past that if anything, we can learn a lot precisely because of the occasional failings of the FAA in aviation. Um, And I've suggested that we're eventually going to need an FAVA, Federal Autonomous Vehicle Administration. Um, To me, so so first of all, um, accepting this need for simulations for a moment fully without any question, uh, it seems to me that the optimal end game would be to somehow validate certain simulations, certain yeah. providers of simulations, so yeah. we can go straight from simulator land for the entire hardware and software stack, fully road legal, without any interim yeah. testing on the road. First, two-part question, I guess. First, do you agree that there is an argument to be made in favor for an FAVA type of a thing? And if so, do you agree that there is a reality in which we can indeed totally validate hardware and software stacks from simulation land straight to the road. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, excellent. So yes. So part one, uh, this is actually what's going to wind up happening. There's a pattern humanity has, and it occurred in the 50s before the FAA was created, which is why the FAA was created. We have this thing where government says, let's stay out of the private sector. But then I would defy you to tell me an industry that ever figures out best practice on their own. Um, and then so th- tragedies occur. And then the government steps in. And sorry, and this goes around and around until you wind up with detailed testing and validation criteria. And in that case, the creation of the FAA and 6.4 Sigma safety uh, last year, uh, aside from this latest Boeing thing, which looks to me like it's clearly not a process problem. It's a leadership. Totally problem. agreed. So 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 we agree. Yes. So this is where we're headed. And that's the way it should be done. Now, let's t- really quick. Let's talk about simulation because I need people to understand this. The problem with the simulation in the industry is they're using gaming architectures and the gaming architectures are severely limited, even though they don't seem like they are because they use non-deterministic architectures, meaning they don't have precise timing and aerospace and defense uses global and shared memory. Um, they're not real time enough and they, they, they can't handle a massive amount of math, which means the precision of any of the models and the, and, and the quantity of the models and the, uh, is, is suffers. So like in the game. Actually, yeah, can you define the differences between those? Because, and here's where I'm coming at this from. So I realize this might sound a bit silly, but I actually, I remember reading an article not too long back, uh, just to pick on one particular title, uh, Turn 10's Forza 7 for Xbox One, apparently yeah. had gotten their tire modeling, the, the physics for tire modeling, so well executed that I think it was Pirelli uh, discovered uh, nuances to their tire design that yes. they had never even discovered previously. So how yes, do you define so making... that between gaming and, well, I guess, military or non-gaming? Okay, so that's actually an example that proves my point, even though it's in gaming. So I'm not suggesting that gaming can't do any of this. It's the depth and breadth of it. So, for example, enough. Um, you, you would have to model, which is not happening right now, because people are using generic car models. 
And what will happen is if your car model, your tire model, your road model in all conditions is not accurate enough, whenever you push the performance envelope of any one of those, right, you get outside the core like generic center, your planning system will expect the performance of the environment, the tire, the road, the center, whatever it is that will not be present in the real world. And that difference between the simulation and reality will be enough to where you will have the accident or a worse accident than you would normally have. So what about and something so like X-Plane? Are you familiar with X-Plane? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I, okay, it's so great that you brought that yeah, up. So I use laminar flow instead of table lookup. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so I have a phenomenal story for you on X-Plane. <laughs> Did so you just, fly the Mars aircraft? <laughs> no, no, no. But th this might be even better because it's ridiculously dramatic. So years ago, I worked at a company that was providing a flight simulator at level six, FAA level six to a small airline. It was a, it was a Cessna jet. And level six FAA is where you go from being a generic aircraft to a specific aircraft. And it's, it's huge mm -hmm. as far as fidelity mm -hmm. goes. So it's really one through seven is the levels and then A through D. The, the aircraft in Sully was a level D at the end mm -hmm. of the so, um, so, so anyway, so they were a year and a half late delivering to this company. Everybody was angry. And I thought, well, what's going on here? And I asked, well, how are you doing your models? What is controlling your simulation? What is doing the world? What is doing the aircraft engine? What is doing the aero model? What is doing all of that? And they said, X-Plane. I said, what? Yeah. So I've read. So, yeah. I, go, so I go to, so I, I, I call the CEO of X-Plane and we've talked a lot. I call uh, Austin, the CEO of X-Plane. Um, Austin uh, Meyer, yeah. I guess. Meyer. And I, I said, hey, Austin, do you ever did a level six before? He goes, no, we only did level fives. And level fives are basically just for cockpit familiarization. Oh. So I said, I said, have you ever seen the FAA testing criteria for this? And he said, no. So I send him the FAA testing criteria, which measures things. It's very objective in some areas. And he called me back and said, we can't do this without redoing our architecture. Really? Yeah. They are nowhere near precise enough. They, they, they can do some things, but not in enough quantity. So, for example, I'm sure X-Plane is at least certified by the FAA for use for ground school instruction at the very least, right? Yes, but not flying. Okay. So, yes, yes. So level five is, is, is cockpit familiarization, but you can't do it. Okay. So, uh, so yes. So in order for them to get to level six and above, which basically once you get to six, everything else after that is adding a motion system and a collimated visual. But once you get to six, you basically are, are a form fit and function of that specific aircraft. So, um, so not only, so here's the problem because they, they, they don't do timing correctly. They have to make consider, they have to make trade-offs, you know, in a game, when you walk through something as opposed to bump mm -hmm. into it, Okay, so what happens is, is, is what we're doing is, which leverages uh, uh, aerospace and DOD technology is, and this is gonna sound amazing. We do worlds where everything is geospecific with physics, meaning if when we do, um, we could do 3,600 square miles loaded in memory at one time, where everything in the model is exactly like the real world, and I'm not, this is not hype, it's exactly with physics. 3,600 square miles, gaming can only do 60 square miles. And we can run hundreds of models that are precise in that box at one time and do it all at a real time uh, uh, value that is faster than what gaming. So your point is, at least in this case, with respect to the bounding box, you've got a larger uh, sand pit to play in, so to speak. Not only that, but everything we do is geospecific. More often than not, gaming will cheat to save on to save on the, uh, the, the CPU. They will they will not have physics behind things, which means they don't actually exist; they're only visual, and they don't detail model everything to the degree that you need it here. So they'll have a generic car, a generic this, a generic that, not a detailed map. So model. is it not so, just a difference of degree or is it a difference of kind? It's a, it's a difference of degree of fidelity and quantity. Mm -hmm. 
So it's, it's the, the, the degree of fidelity of the objects in the world, the degree of, of, of the models that are in it, whether it's your car, other cars, whatever it is, and how many of them you can run at one time, and the latency that's involved in trying to churn through all that. For cars, it's, it's 16 milliseconds. You cannot have more than 16 milliseconds of latency, where aircraft, you can have 100 milliseconds. Hmm. And the reason for that is because cars have a faster lateral movement. Okay, fair enough. That makes sense. So if the technology, and I could show you the demo, but, but if you were to use the technology that I'm talking about, um, it's if everything, including photorealism, is to the point where you could measurably demonstrate with performance curves that you are precise enough to, to have extremely high confidence in that perception testing, in that planning, in that execution, so that you can replace 99.9% of that public shadow and safety driving. So you can save the time, you can save the money, and you, and you don't have to sacrifice those human lives. Boom. <laughs> well, that's it then. Boom. I mean, uh, well, so what do you propose for Tesla specifically? I mean, what's the big takeaway? Do you, is your, I mean, if you had one wish here, is that they simply stopped, that they just stopped doing this or, or what? Uh, I want them, I, I, whether it's with DACT or anybody else, call my bluff, please. Uh-huh. Because you, you, ha- you have an obligation to your shareholders and to your customers who trust the hell out of you, who are sacrificing their families and the public around them. Please do the due diligence, call the bluff. Please look into this. Because we, to your point, we need a progression that says, why do I need to go to the test track? Show me why I can't do it in simulation. Okay, fine. Now, why do I need to go in the real world with safety driving? Because I think there might be cases you have to do it. Prove to me that you need it because your simulation using the best tech in the world can't do it and tracks can't do it. Then if I get to the real world, I will run it like a movie set because I don't need you safety driving haphazardly for the neighborhood. You know what I mean? So to me, there's progressions of, of, of due diligence that you would do before you ever got close to repeating kind of the haphazardness wild west thing that's going sure. on right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, look, this, I, I could easily go on with this about you for, or with you about this for hours, it looks like. So with respect to your time and frankly, everybody else's, I think we should probably wrap it up. Uh, look, I really do thank you uh, and appreciate your time. So um, really fascinating discussion. Let's definitely keep in touch and see where things are going. And, um, you know, I'd welcome you back on the show. Cheers. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that'll do it for today. So Michael, a huge thank you again to you for your time recording this episode with me. Coming up on Tuesday, the penultimate episode of this season, episode 106, I'll be joined by huh, another Mike. It's time it's Mike Pinellis, who also happens to be another PhD because, you know, haven't had enough PhDs on this show. Um, no, but seriously, one of the things I've, I think, said recently is just one of the great joys of doing this podcast the last 14 months is the astonishing number and caliber of fascinating, brilliant people I've had the pleasure of connecting with and indeed even meeting in real life from around the world. Um, it's, it's just been incredibly amazing for me, but, um, anyway, Mike comes at us from Detroit. He's the president and CEO of MEMS journal. That's MEMS as in micro electromechanical systems. So, um, I'm actually going to be speaking with Mike in just three hours later today to record the episode, which, as I say, will go live on Tuesday. But uh, meanwhile, it is Friday, so happy Friday. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. I'll see you back here on Tuesday. Bye-bye.